0: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well and I hope you are ready for one of the best chats of my life. Uh, I think this is one of my favourite episodes ever. I left this chat feeling like I was going to burst with love and inspiration and, and also just information. And that's really hard to evoke in people these days because we are fatigued. We are losing hope because we're surrounded by chaos. And so that is the importance and that is the impact of Laverne Cox. I'm so lucky I got time with her today to have such an in-depth chat and to, to show a side of her that people don't always get to see. Like we know Laverne Cox as this extraordinary actor and model and host and, and activist. And, you know, we, we know her power as a trans activist and a black trans activist. And she speaks up so beautifully for women's rights and for so many different marginalized groups' rights. But... I don't think she fully gets her flowers as to what a fine mind she has. She is one of the most informed and impassioned and excellent and powerful speakers I've ever met. And I've ever seen speak and I feel immensely privileged to really get into the weeds of the things that she cares about in today's episode. Uh, In today's chat we talk about her journey to who she is now, how her first interactions with trans women opened up her mind to who she could be and that's where hashtag trans is beautiful came from which is a stunning movement she started on Instagram to reject the media's narrative that trans people are not beautiful and free and happy and loved and loving there's this this fear-mongering culture around trans people this nonsensical and inaccurate fear-mongering culture that tries to scare cis people of trans people and tries to scare trans people of themselves tries to tell young impressionable trans people that you will be rejected you will be lonely you will be sad you'll be unsuccessful you will be seen as ugly and wrong and she defies all of that just in her existence and also in this hashtag and in all of her activism and social justice work. And I love her so much for that. And I think a lot of young people have grown up feeling like because they can see her achieving her happiness and her best self and her dreams that they might have a chance to too. She is truly the epitome of the importance of representation and she does it so unapologetically and powerfully. Uh, we discuss the problems with trans politics today and we really get into the weeds of it and it's so fucking important because if you thought the last five years were bad... The last five years were building up to what is now happening this year. The last five years of media and social media twisting and turning people's attitudes towards such a tiny minority of people as the trans community has all been so that they could lead it towards legislation. This year alone, it is February. We have seen somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and fifty bills introduced to take away trans people's rights. It's been a fucking month. This has been a well. Organized and strategically designed attack on trans people. And so Laverne coming on and breaking this down to us exactly what's happening, the history of this, and how we can get through it, and how we can overcome it and come together and fight together is vital. We talk about what the real issues that are facing Americans today are, and how trans issues are kind of being used as a diversion tactic and a scapegoat for the crisis that is the United States and the crisis that is the world currently. She's really fucking amazing. I really hope you enjoy this chat. Please write to me afterwards. Please write to her afterwards and tell her how amazing she is and just sit back with the fucking notes app out and enjoy. I really... I feel just so lucky to get to have this podcast so that I get to have these chats with all of you and I I get to have these chats with people like Laverne. She's so moving and I'm going to stop gushing about her now because it's getting weird, sorry. Um, But she just gives me hope and when someone's able to reignite that in me, I get very passionate. So here is the absolutely gorgeous and exceptional and just ridiculously fantastic Laverne Cox. I'll shut up now, sorry. God, Laverne Bloody Cox, welcome to I way.
2: <laughs> Bloody Cox. Yes. I've never, it's never been referred to that way before, Laverne Bloody Cox.
1: I'm so happy you're here. I have longed to have you on this podcast, but you are the uh, busiest woman on the mm, fucking planet. And mm. so it is a joy to have you here now. And I'm glad that I'm a more experienced interviewer by the time you got here. I've been a fan of yours for a really long time and always like, you know, nervously approached you at uh, events and been so excited to find another tall woman in the room. Always very exciting, yes. so I'm I don't have to like hunch my shoulders and come down to whoever I'm being photographed with. Um, but we also, need not just shrink ourselves. In no, but you have this a very like charismatic and magical presence when you're in mm. a room, and mm. I, uh, I, I am curious about like there's this feeling that I get from you and I know that it's probably part real and potentially part facade but it's like an immovability in you Mm. like you are so fucking firmly in your heels in your shoes your stilettos are deep in the ground and you are so fundamentally yourself and you seem so unbelievably confident but over time through you know reading more of your interviews and and reading more about everything that you've put out into the world I learned that that's that that facade doesn't match as with many people your internal monologue and so that's one of many things that I would like to Mm -hmm. talk about with you is your journey to the self-love of being the woman that someone else goes fuck me they're strong and confident in a room I'd love to find out how you got there so do you mind talking to me about your relationship with mental health, especially when you were young? Let's just start there.
2: I, well, I have to comment on that whole strong, immovable thing because mm-hmm. I think I think it's both, and I think most of my life, I've always, without trying, I've mm-hmm. people have noticed me, and I people have noticed me when I walk into a room, and when I was a child, when I was young. That was a problem because I was assigned male at birth and I was noticed because I was very femme and I've always had this presence and been who I am. And I understand that now it's a light that has always been inside of me, but that, that when I was a kid, it was a light that um, my teachers wanted to dim, the people at church wanted to dim, the other children wanted to um, beat up and um punish um and so it's something that i started to dim you know but it's always been there and so so much of my 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 mental health journey which is also a spiritual journey is letting go of um the bully that i internalized i mean when i think about my my mental health journey i think so much of it is about um I internalized the voices of the bullies, so I would bully myself before the other kids did. Just sort of, it was the self-policing of my gender, self-policing of my behavior. But the wonderful thing about me, and I, is that the, even when I was trying to be more masculine, it sounds so hilarious now, even when I was trying to sort of police all the things that were natural to me and dim this light, that there was just something inside me that it had to come out, and I, and it was just not really ever it was very difficult for me not to be myself there i had to like i remember in high school um i went to the alabama school of fine arts in birmingham i'm from mobile alabama the deep south and um i went to a boarding school at the alabama school of fine arts and i started dressing myself um, in junior high, going to, you know, Salvation Army thrift stores and whatever, and getting things for 99 cents and, you know, and starting to develop my fashion and style. But when I was away from my mother at the Alabama School of Fine Arts at an art school, I really kind of went forward and started, you know, wearing um, skirts, not dresses. I was, I internalized a lot of transphobia. I had a moment in third grade when my, my third grade teacher um, called my mother on the phone and said, your son is going to end up in New Orleans wearing a dress if we don't get him into therapy right away. I know I've told this story a zillion times, but it's so formative for me. And it was like, I went to this kind of... Um, reparative therapy for a while. And so the idea of ending up in New Orleans wearing a dress was terrifying to me. And But I needed to express my femininity. So the compromise for me were skirts and culottes and wide leg bell bottoms in, um, in high school. And so I was sort of, sort of started existing in this gender non-conforming space. And that was a compromise for me because I think, because I've always been an artist and I've always been a creative person, I needed to express myself in how I dressed. And, um, so even though I was trying to suppress parts of myself, there was a part of me that just it didn't feel right, and so I had to find ways to um, be who I was, and so that's always been in me. And so over the years, it's just been letting go of those voices. I think about the interview um, you, we did with um, on my show. If we're being honest, you talked about all the sort of negative messages you internalized, and mm-hmm. I think we all do. And so so much of the journey it's been about letting go of those voices, letting go of um, that self bully, and 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 in letting go of who I'm thinking supposed to be to embrace who i really
1: am i mean it was fucking intense like in you that like self policing and that self-shame even as such a young kid i mean i remember reading about and i, I hope you feel comfortable talking about this but you know suicidal tendencies even as young oh, as yeah. 11 for realizing oh, yeah. that you were falling in love with a boy you know at school and at the time yeah. you were still identified as your gender being a boy as well and yeah. so all of the shame yeah. coming from that and then also being from within the black community and then it sounds like you were within a religious community uh, oh, that, and then yes. in the south mm-hmm. it's just uh that's the trifecta of um hell <laughs> in, <laughs> in a young child who doesn't know that one day they might have a chance to be free
2: yeah it was, it was, it was hell in some ways. And and what I've, what it's what been so beautiful about the um, trauma resilience therapy that I'm doing is that it's rooted in both and that, yes, I um, internalized lots of transphobia and homophobia. I had a tremendous amount of shame about being attracted to boys, about being as feminine as I was. Um, but that, that religious tradition even though I don't, I'm not a religious person now. The spirituality of the AME Church I grew up in, the spirit, the the, the spiritual tradition of Black people in America, is something even though I find religion oppressive and problematic, the spiritual piece and the ways in which Black people have found uh, through spirituality to get through, I find myself coming back to that as like Mm -hmm. the only thing that makes sense to me on a spiritual level. So yes, um, you know, the suicide piece is so, you know, part of me, I have had moments of regretting talking about that publicly because I've seen headlines that, that, that feel like it minimizes it. I, I might cry today. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm very open emotionally lately. But it was um, to minimize that feel, like to have a headline that sort of minimizes this period in my life that was so pain, deeply painful. It's, it's hard, but that is what you do as a, as a public person. And, and sharing that has, um, I know, given other people space to share their stories around um, not wanting to be on the planet anymore, And, um, what is, um, sad to me is that like, um, 11 years old was not the last time I, I mean, that was the only real suicide attempt I had. And then later Mm -hmm. on, I think I was slowly trying to kill myself through, you know, various kinds of self-abuse and self-flagellation. The suicidal tendencies did not stop then. The suicidal thoughts, I should say, did not stop when I was 11. And so much of it was about, I remember being an, um, Early in transition, maybe a couple of years, so it would have been the early 2000s into, into medical transition and, and, you know, constantly being misgendered on the street. And just, you know, having been, you know, I was probably this time I was in my late 20s and I had just been bullied my whole life. Um, the street has always been, public space has always been a place where I've been harassed. And I was just so tired and so exhausted, like literally my whole life. And I think I had a fantasy that when I medically transitioned and like I I would be read more as female on the street, that the the harassment would stop. But alas, I'm a woman. (laughs) So street harassment doesn't stop as a woman. And I think, you know, so much of the street harassment I experienced in early in my transition, now I understand was because mostly men were attracted to me and they would realize I was trans. And so it would start with uh cat that would turn into this transphobia when they, once they realized I was trans, this sort of intersection of um, misogyny and transphobia, trans misogyny. And so it's just, I was just so tired and so exhausted. I'm so glad that I, um, I'm so glad I, I didn't kill myself. Um, I'm so glad that I'm still mm-hmm. here. And that I have a story to tell. And and it's been a struggle. And I think the struggle has been letting go of those voices. The struggle has been just walking out of my house, you know, in New York City as a trans woman and trying to get from point A to point B alive and or not kicked or beaten. Um, and feeling like I have a right to be here. And And the thing that really has consistently gotten me through is the spiritual grounding of my childhood and also art, being an artist being a creative person, pursuing that and, and having that be the center of my life, even when I didn't believe in myself, even when I was in such distress that I didn't want to live anymore. I loved acting. I loved music and dancing and going to a concert, listening to music, going to a play. Like these things have been literally life sustaining for me. And so it's just so wonderful to get to be an artist and to be alive at 50 years old Having gone through all of this and um, getting to testify that it is possible to struggle to go through all sorts of self-doubt, self-policing, self-bullying, you know, bullying from the outside, physical assault, sexual assault, and and heal. And I'm not just alive. I am, I am a more evolved version of myself. I'm not just here um, damaged and walking around in my trauma. I am here healing I I wouldn't say I'm healed but I am here um more aware with more tools and more resilience you know you build trauma resilience you build shame resilience and I'm here more resilient and that is um I can't even believe that that is possible honestly (laughs) from where I started
1: it's been a fuck of a journey it's been a fuck of a journey and you yeah Speak about it with so much with so much thoughtfulness and so much self investigation. What age did that self investigation start? Because I, I can imagine, especially from the sounds of things, that it was a fucking rocky road. And were you in
2: New York this whole time? Have you always been in New York? I know. So I, when I graduated from um, the Alabama School of Fine Arts in 1991, I went to the Houston Ballet Academy. I was a dance major at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Went to the Houston Ballet Academy for the summer, and then I went to Indiana University for two years. And then Mm -hmm. I moved to New York in 1993.
1: And what time, and I was wondering, like, as in like, so when you had, you know, demonstrably transitioned externally, like, et cetera, like, where were you then?
2: That was all in New York. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't able, oh my God, there was no way I could have even accepted. When I moved to New York, I was just in denial about being trans. Like I really was. But By the time I moved to New York, I was Kind of very gender nonconforming, I had a shaved head. I wore makeup every day and false eyelashes to ballet class. And I had beautiful, like, wide leg bell bottoms and platform shoes that I wore all the time. And I was, we would use the term probably gender nonconforming now to sort of, um, denote how or gender fluid denote the way I, my gender was expressing itself when I moved to New York in 1993. It wasn't until 1990. Oh gosh. I, 1998, yeah, 1998, that I started medically transitioning, where I went to the doctor and started hormones and started all of that process. So it was, I guess, 1993 to 1998, that's five years in New York, and evolving to being more and more femme, though, embracing more um, of my femininity and just letting go. And really, it was meeting transgender women in the club scene. And I had all these ideas about who trans people were based on what I'd seen in the media, and then I was at. What um, did you think they were? I thought they were. This is so sad. But I thought they were degenerate um, criminals, homeless, um, uneducated, um, just unloved horrible people, like just horrible, awful people. And I was a church going straight A student who was very ambitious. And I didn't associate any of that with being trans, which is really sad to me when I, when I think about that. And then I meet these women who are really smart and beautiful and ambitious and, um, like me, like me. And, um, I saw myself in them. And there was a particular woman uh, who I've talked a lot about named Tina Sparkles. Um, I don't know where Tina... And Tina moved to somewhere in Europe and it's sort of, you know, she trans... You know, back in the day, you were the idea is you transition and then, you know, you move away somewhere and you never tell anyone that you're trans. That was sort of the protocol, according to Dr. Harry Benjamin, you know, um, up until recently. And so I walked... But I saw... I met Tina at Webster Hall... Way um, right when I moved to New York in '93, and she was a she was a drag queen at the time and had not medically transitioned. And over the next several years of knowing Tina, I saw her transition and become this beautiful woman, and just had this beautiful soul and spirit. And she was just incredible. And I just remember saying to myself, "But Tina can do this. What can I do?" And I met Candace Kane, and I met this woman named Paris, who um, was this incredible club kid and icon, who was just so beautiful and a fashion designer. And she later became an agent, a modeling agent. And it just, these amazing women who I saw myself in. And and then those women gave me the courage to go to Dr. Rich's office in 1998 for my first hormone shot in the beginning of my my medical transition and just, as difficult as those next several years were transitioning, having accepted my womanhood, the world not reflecting that womanhood back to me the way that I had hoped, I just remember being so relieved to be like, okay, this is who I am, and just being in this place of acceptance. Even though the world was cruel, um, very, very cruel to me, I was like, I was just, it was just so much better being in acceptance of who I was and not being in denial, even if the world was as mean as they were, I was like, oh my God, I just felt freer, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that make it speaks.
1: Sense? It does. It, it speaks to really the power that we underestimate of at least accepting yourself, of at least being on your own side, which I know is something that you've still, you know, struggled with beyond that moment. But when oh, yeah. you stop gaslighting yourself, when you stop imprisoning yourself just because the world told you you're supposed to, the difference that can make really does like weaken the sound. Not, I'm not diminishing the experience of that external like ostracization or bigotry that you would have faced, but. It is extraordinary the power, mm-hmm. and that's why it is so important. It's why people like you and the message that you put out now and the, the hashtag of trans is beautiful and the mm-hmm. stunning Beyonce esque videos that you've been putting out for years with your hair. Who how does your hair blow like that in the Instagram videos? Is someone holding a fucking. There's a fan. I literally have oh, a, a fan right fan.
2: behind this uh, girl, there's a fan right behind this mirror. Um, I was imagining I was
1: imagining your boyfriend holding a like a um a hairdryer or something. Like Most of things I shoot
2: myself and there's, <laughs> we have a fan. This is my glam, you know, area here in uh, New York and I have a glam room in LA and I have a fan girl that's right there. And, and when I'm ready, I mostly shoot those videos my, all by myself with a tri- my phone on a tripod. And we just turn on the fan and feel um, yeah. feel crazy in love. And- but those
1: those I mean, videos yeah. are a call to arms, right, for other trans people and for non-trans people, you know, uh, to for cis people to recognize trans as beautiful. And it's kind of like a it feels to me like a a message you're not just saying to everyone else, but you're very much so saying to yourself, you're saying to your younger okay. self, you're saying to the woman that you are now. But if I'm, we could, they, the, the, the reason that the society tries to take uh, women in particular, I would say, and gender non-conforming people as well, but especially women, there's an attack on us because we are 80% of the consumer market, right? The reason they try so hard to destabilize our inner monologue is because they know that if we can master the power of being on our own side, then it will weaken all of the other voices that that beat us into submission. And yeah. so for you to even just temporarily really find that where you are like, right, well, I'm taking yeah. these fucking injections for me and I'm making these moves and I'm telling these doctors who I really am and I'm coming out to my friends and I'm coming out to the world, coming out to myself. I'm doing what my 11 year old self needed the most. I'm doing Mm it. I've gotten to myself to a place of safety and financial security where I can actually take these fucking steps. Good for me. Yeah. Saved, must have saved your life.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But what was, what's interesting is that coming out is not even really the word. When I, I remember telling my brother who, I, my twin brother, that I was uh, medically transitioning and he was living in San Francisco at the time and he knew many trans people and had dated trans people. And he was like, oh, you're doing the medical thing. Okay. And it wasn't, and it, and people were like, oh, that makes sense. It was, no one was really surprised. You know, yeah. it was the people who knew me were like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so it wasn't like, this because because the transition wasn't like I was this male pres- I was this gender nonconforming person so it wasn't like so it wasn't coming it wasn't out like it a joke
1: like, transitioning yeah. no
2: not yeah. at all that's, that's that's a media story right that's the media story that's been told for for sixty plus years but that really wasn't my reality and I have to say that. The trans is beautiful hashtag came out of once I started medically transitioning and was in the world and accepting my womanhood and the world was not reflecting that back to me. There was a different kind of policing that started. Oh, my hands are too big. Oh, my voice is too deep. Oh, my shoulders are too wide. I'm too tall. And so then it was like this uh, this new thing. It's like I accept it being trans. This is awesome. But then I'm not woman enough. And trans is beautiful came out of, it was, it was twenty. I remember being 2015 and I was talking about their journey of accepting that like, I'm not beautiful despite my big hands, my big feet, my deep voice, my height, but I'm beautiful because of those things. I could see, I could look at other trans women who were not, um, we use this language, cis assumed or passing is the old language that's deeply problematic, but I could see the beauty in trans women, other trans women who, were noticeably trans. I could look at them and be like, she's noticeably trans, but she is a beautiful woman. I could see that in other trans women, but I couldn't see it in myself. And I was like what is going on? I was comparing myself. I was saying I wasn't woman enough. And so Trans is Beautiful started, I was doing a lecture somewhere and I was like, we need to, because we, we also came out of reading bell hooks and bell hooks talking about um, loving blackness as political resistance. And I, and I remember reading the essay probably, you know, in the early nineties and saying like trans people need a movement up. up. We ha- There was a Black is Beautiful movement that started in the late 1960s. That was about moving away from white supremacist beauty standards to empower the things about black. That are beautiful. And I was like, trans people need this. You know, and I was in, doing this election, I was like, we should start a hashtag, hashtag trans is beautiful, just kind of like off the cuff. And people started, um, did, you know, tweeted and Instagram, trans is beautiful that night. I encouraged everyone to do it. And then we kind of kept doing it. And now millions of people all over the world have um, shared on social media, hashtag trans is beautiful. And it is a reminder for me. I, I'll hear my voice. I'm, you know, uh, in media and and on a a film I've done or on an interview. And I'm like, Oh, Laverne, your voice is so deep. And I'm like, chance is beautiful. (laughs) I literally say it to myself. I say it to myself because it's like, I, uh, unfortunately, I went through a puberty that released a lot of testosterone into my body. And so my voice, you know, got really low. And I think about the opportunity that so many young trans people have to avoid that, right? Mm. There's this big conversation that, you know, trans people are being scapegoated by talking about, um, you know, gender-affirming care for trans youth and people are debating it. And, you know, I, and I see people who don't really know what they're talking about debating it and should it be allowed and should it not be allowed. And I'm just like, everything I can come up with is just, is none of your business. It's none of your business mm-hmm. if you're not the parent of that child. If you're not a doctor, why is society getting involved in the health care decisions of even if they're children, right? Like there, there are people who know. There are doctors. There are parents. And in every, in, in the United States, in every aspect, right? That you know, the same people who are like parents should be in control of what our kids, you know, learn in school and how we raise our children. But like, if parents are supportive of their trans children, then parents do not get the right in Texas, right? You know, um, the governor of Texas say, saying, if you support your transgender child, this is child abuse, we may take your children away. That is a policy now in the state of Texas. Gender affirming care for trans youth has been banned in the state of Florida. And they're like, I'm um, not allowing Medicaid um, to cover trans um, gender affirming care for trans adults in the state of Florida. So this is really what it's about. It's about making us not exist. And it's so the arguments are being had in such Bad faith. And it's so angering to me. And I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want to contribute to the whole way the conversation is being framed. It's so problematic. It's none of your business. It's actually none of your business what a parent is doing with their child, between their child and their doctor. If a child has cancer and their parent is like, we need to get this child care. That's none of my business if that's not so why are we getting involved we're getting involved because we're in a transphobic society and we want to police the bodies of trans people as a way of so much of it is about again the connection between policing the bodies of women and gender non-conforming people it's all connected it's all connected
1: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month.
0: That's BetterHelp, H E L P.com slash iWay.
1: None of this, none of this is about well being. Those same states, the same states that restrict uh, transitioning access and who are now taking away healthcare for trans people are the same states forcing uh, people who are pregnant, regardless of how baby they are, even Mm -hmm. forcing them to give birth, something that can kill them. It is something um, that will destroy their fucking lives. Like it is, it's such a giant
2: conspiracy control it's the height of misogyny yeah truly it it really is the height of misogyny it's just it's like and in control and and the the interesting and sad thing about it and we really I don't know if we can say this enough you know it wasn't it was about five years after the passage of Roe v. Wade that that Christian conservatives were sort of like okay abortion is bad right for five years they weren't like catholics had issues but like it, evangelicals in the united states didn't and then like they realized um the abor- abortion becoming a political issue around 1978 in this country we're like well we can't really run on school desegregation anymore the, for conservatives right because at this point school prayer had been you know this is this thing and then like they were they really wanted to you know Resegregate the schools, but they, you know, by 1978, they couldn't really run on that. People were like, well, no, this is not, this is a problem, but they, could, they realized they could use abortion. And so be- abortion became an issue that they could use to galvanize, um, Christian conservatives ultimately to vote against their own economic interest, right? The history of abortion, it, If we look at that and then look at the ways in which trans people are used as scapegoats, the party, the conservative and here in the United States, it is mostly Republicans, not exclusively, but um, Republican, the Republican Party that is passing laws um, forbidding, you know, gender affirming care for trans people. And those same Republicans um, have no solutions for inflation, for a minimum wage. They want a union bust. They are about corporate rule. They're about like corporations being completely deregulated and working people being at the whim of those corporations. And since that is not a popular message with the majority of the people who are working class, they use the issues of trans people in sports or abortion or. Critical race theory that's not being taught. They use all of these what people call culture war issues to distract from the fact that theres they're actually not providing anything that will materially change the well-being of working and middle-class people in the United States. And this is the context that we should be viewing all of this culture war stuff in and so every anyone who i'm a trans person and i and so i talk about trans issues but i try to do it very selectively because i don't want to feed into the narratives that like Trans people, you know, despite what I, I was about to say his name, despite what certain people might say on certain podcasts, you know, according to the Williams Institute, there's probably only like, it's less than 1% of the population in the United States who identifies as trans. And that's just an estimation, right? You mean there's... that
1: fucking dickhead who said there were millions? And yes.
2: Just... <laughs> what a stupid prick. <laughs> um, um, Sorry, go on. Yeah, I... I, um, I i try not to use we that move language on. No, we move on. Oh, sorry 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 no it's fine you can do whatever you want honey i'm not policing anybody's language I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, we but the issue but part of the issue with so much of this thing around um puberty blockers for example is that we haven't done enough research on trans people because we don't even count trans people in the census right we don't um no we don't we don't there's not enough data collection around trans folks when we look at trans people in sports There have been legitimately maybe two peer reviewed studies of trans people in sports. So people are speculating and people are using like, you know, the, um, what, uh, a cis male adult, um, physical capacities are and, and to make a trans, make that a trans woman's physical capacity. And it's like. We haven't done enough research and there hasn't been an investment in research on so many levels and data collection on so many levels when it comes to trans people. There are great new studies now that have come out that have um, looked at trans children over the past, you know, decade or so and noted that less than 1% of them do transition, that more of them are happy and healthy having, you know, living their authentic lives. We do actually have that research. But when people who are talking about, you know, trans people in sports or puberty blockers, they don't they don't actually have any information, and again, i I, I want to emphasize that puberty blockers have existed for forty years and were initially used for um um children with precocious puberties who went into puberty too early and once the young people stopped those puberty blockers, they would just go through puberty. This is what for four decades, we understand about puberty blockers, and people. Sorry, on a rant. People, there's there are people who are citing this um, CDC study from earlier this year, talking about um, particularly Lupron, which is one one only one medication used to block puberty. But that research is done because it's also used in um, adult men who have prostate cancer. You cannot take a study that looks at adult men with prostate cancer and those side effects and compare those to children. Like <laughs> that's you can't use that research. It's just not. It's not in good faith. It's just a mess right now. And it's so it's frustrating for me seeing so many people who don't know what they're talking about having these conversations. Don't even think about inviting a trans person who might be an expert on to talk about this, you know. And I'm and there are trans people who know more than I do about this. But like no trans people inside, everybody's talking about trans folks, no trans people around. It's very frustrating Um, but it's also
1: like it's also it's a classic it's a no I fucking love I fucking love that you just said that I loved all that you said that and I was like I'm gonna listen back to this episode I'm gonna write down notes because you just said that more succinctly than I have could uh thank you thank you for saying that and I know that it's something that you don't talk about all the time and I understand why because you don't want to even fan that flame that continues to use trans issues as a distraction from climate change pop the wealth gap the wealth transfer of the last three years uh medicaid the fact that they're trying to scrap it in the fucking supreme court like all these different things uh we see it as well with immigrants right like trans people are just another form of scapegoat and straw man argument uh like the way that you know when the government doesn't help poor people in this country they just go well it's because of the um it's because of the immigrants coming in who make up like 0.00000 something of our our population, blame them. It's always divert away from them. And this is why, you know, I've become less and less and less. I'm trying to be less and less and less divisive in my language because I'm desperate for us to come together on our vast similarities rather than differences. And I don't want an us versus them thing because that was created by governments and by institutions that rely upon us turning the other way and looking at each other rather than looking at them.
2: And now, a media um system, a social media system, a mainstream media- just media in general mm-hmm. that um is, has us in our echo chambers siloed, receiving completely different messages and that and some of them have to do with actual facts, and a lot of them don't so it's like how do we come together but what i what I, what has been so beautiful about- me, my life is um uh, meeting people who are, you know, conservative and vote Republican and voted for Trump, who are lovely people who see me in my humanity and my womanhood. And I see them in their humanity and they voted for Trump for, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not racist. You know, they're not, you know, it's it's usually often a single issue. Sometimes it's a, it is abortion. Sometimes it's like about, um, support of the police. Sometimes it's about what the Democratic Party, um, may represent that is that they just can't get behind. And so people are complicated, right? A lot of so, people did
1: it for jobs because he said he was going to bring back ginormous industries that impact the working class, that liberals absolutely. didn't give a fucking shit about, like, privileged he liberals. He said
2: that, but he, obviously he didn't govern that way. No. But l- many people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump did it because they were the hope of jobs coming back particularly in the midwest where the manufacturing industry has been decimated a lot of those people voted for Trump in the hopes that we would get they would have jobs back and unfortunately he didn't obviously didn't govern that way and so people are complicated and so like not trying it's important not to paint people with a broad brush just sort of get to know people as people and Sometimes they may be able to let go of their biases and when when and other times they might not be able to you know what is what has been so beautiful about being me uh, throughout my life and being you know through various you know incarnations of myself is that for the most part, people who aren't going to be down with me see it and see it right away, right like i there's something about me that has repelled people who are going to probably have a problem. you know I've been a gender non-conforming and then trans person my whole life. I've been an artist. So I have I attract certain people and repel others, so I've been very lucky that the people in my life have been um really awesome, incredible people um and i and i I just have to believe in the humanity of everyone and that everyone has a story and everyone is in pain and so even everyone's though our, a product s- of
1: their environment
2: yeah and even though our political systems are problematic and our politicians are problematic, I think that like human beings and voters like i I want to look at their humanity, see their humanity, and highlight that and find ways. You know, I, um, I'm i going to keep putting this out there. I had my team reach out to Joe Rogan um, and to The Breakfast Club because um, I wanted to go on both shows and had, just and just talk and be me. I, part of it is like, yes, I talk about trans stuff sometimes, but like a lot of where I'm at in my career, I've been talking about trans stuff like since I've been, you know, in the public eye, but I love just going out and getting to be myself, you know, because yes, I'm trans and I can talk about trans issues, but I can talk about a lot of things. I'm, I'm well-versed in many topics mm-hmm. and I just want to go out and be human and be a human being. And I think that the tr- the truth of my life is that most people who've experienced me, you know, in various work situations, various workspaces, I don't, I rarely in my personal life talk about being trans. They just, I'm just me and I just do me. And people have, um, gotten into my humanity and that is really, this is the best way to kind of be able to proceed in the world. And so that's what I want. I would love to sit down with Joe Rogan and have a conversation, not attacking him, not, you know, but just having a, a he's had really wonderful conversations. at the Cornel West conversation. I'm obsessed. His co- conversation with Dr. Cornel West was so beautiful and so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I would just love to sit down with him as a human being and just talk. Um, I think that's important. You know, I think that like those yeah, I don't moment. think
1: there's a I don't think there's an inherently evil person in there or amongst that show. I think what there is massively, and you might disagree with me here, is a is a a rejection of the cultish, slightly oppressive and like similar to the right wing kind of approach of some people in the liberal space especially those people on social media i think like it's like it's very obvious that joe rogan is fundamentally a liberal like fun like the way that he talks in some ways like there are some things he say that echo the right wing but ultimately fundamentally he refers to himself openly as a liberal right and he
2: um i mean he supported bernie sanders (laughs) exactly
1: exactly so but my point being that i think that we are we on, we, and I've said this a billion times in this podcast, so I'm going to be very quick, but, um, we on the left need to also do a better job at not demonizing other people immediately, yeah. not immediately assuming that they are beyond redemption, beyond change. Otherwise, what is the point of our activism? I think it's beautiful that you want to go on Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm still. Unsure about how I feel for, it I for me. I don't know how not for any. Yeah, not But yeah, I want exactly. to go in with
2: love. I want to approach it with love and empathy. And I can't think of
1: anyone more equipped than you, honestly.
2: And and I think too, it's it's. Uh, media i mean i think that like you know the moment um when when on Joe, joe's podcast you know his, his guest asserted that there were millions and millions of of um children you know on hormone blockers mm-hmm. um and having fact you know checked. tops and he and yeah. his producer jamie was like well no that's actually not true that that there's just a lot of misinformation out there and like who has time you know i mean I, he especially as many shows as he does when i get to do a podcast or when i do an episode of if we're being honest I have the time to do a lot of research on the people that i'm um, that I'm interviewing, and I try to do deep dives so I really know and he doesn't have time to do all that you know so and I get it um, but we just it, there's just so much misinformation out there, and um, having interruptions in that I think it, are really is really important because it does if you are a you know a person who might not have the, a depth of knowledge about trans people or don't personally know trans people. Oh, it is scary to like you know you know puberty blockers on young people. That sounds scary, right? And that, and I think that's why they focused on young people. Um, the trans issue bathrooms didn't work, but I think when we start talking about children changing their bodies, it can be really scary, right? Mm-hmm. For people unless they're so having I, a baby. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it's been a, it's been a great way for conservative folks to you know, make trans people seem so radical and and so, you know, all these things. But I think it's like, it just comes from an uninformed place. And hopefully pe- people, as they get more information, will, I think at the end of the day, whatever information you have or don't have, again, I don't think it's any of your business. And I think like when we get into the minutia of like, what's reversible what's not reversible it's like that shouldn't even be the conversation the conversation should be it is actually none of your business what somebody else is doing with their body and what a parent is doing doing in consultation with a doctor for the mental and physical health of their child is actually none of your business and this is not something that should be a public debate it really it just shouldn't i just like i think reproductive rights and abortion should not be a public debate it's none of my it's none of my business whether someone has an abortion or not. It really is I I support reproductive rights. I support reproductive rights and a right to choose and bodily autonomy. Absolutely. And I'm on the record and I've done (laughs) their receipts of me supporting that. But I think at the end of the day it's nobody's business like what someone's doing. When people get into debates about how many weeks and it's none of my business. It's none of your business. Let a doctor decide. Let 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 this be a decision between a doctor and the patient you know or a parent and they're it's none of your, none of your business 100 <laughs> no
1: <laughs> it's 100 <100%. laughs> percent. please put that on a sweater so i can buy it it's just none your of your business, business. I, a new, I
0: feel a new hashtag coming on laverne <laughs>
1: so can i ask you something oh, um because yeah. there's a there's a varying answers on this like amongst people who exist within a space of uh, like you know advocacy uh or even people who don't aren't advocates themselves and they they wish not to have to be advocates a lot of and we've really seen like a kind of rise of this in the last seven years a lot of marginalized people say Well, I don't want to fucking reach out to the other side. I don't want to do the labor of educating them. They should go and fucking educate themselves. Now, I personally, I respect that. I understand people are fucking exhausted. And as you say, it's no one else's business anyway. But if we're just going to be practical, I don't see a way out of this other than exposing them to us and our humanity and trying to reach the common ground. So I personally am someone who is and you know, I also live a privileged life where I have more safety and more protection and more access and more, you know, uh, ability to take the time out to to exist with an advocacy. But I personally am going to take it upon myself to try to reach across. And I'm not going to feel like a bad person for consorting with the quote unquote enemy when I'm trying to bridge the gap. And I sense from what you're saying about the spaces that you feel comfortable going into to try to, you know, humanize and remind people that trans people are just regular humans with problems that are fantastical and problems that are mundane and existences that are very, very normal and traditional in most ways. All my trans friends have all the same problems as my non-trans friends in certain areas. And there are extra levels that aren't created by them, that are created from an outside society that they then have to deal with
2: Mm -hmm. you know i I, thank you so much for asking that i think when i hear particularly from 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 black folks in in the united states who um will refuse to work with the republican party and it's the racism for them right and i think that I get that. And I understand that. But I think painting the entire Republican Party is racist. We can talk about policies. We can talk about impact. And, you know, we can talk about history, history and, you know, the political realities are what they are. And those uh, many of those policies are racist. The history of the United States is racist and white supremacist. Right. So I think history of Democrats start, is racist. History, exactly. All of that. America is a racist, country just historically, um, for so many reasons. And we have not been able to reckon with that. I think like starting there is not for me, I consider myself very patriotic. I love being American. I really do. I'm so, and I travel internationally and it's wonderful, but I love being, I love being American. And there's something, there are things about me that are unapologetically and perhaps problematically American. I love this country, um, for so many reasons. Um, I think my, story and evolution is only possible in this country. So I am very, I'm a very patriotic place that this country was founded in in racism and misogyny and all these things. And it doesn't mean I don't love my country. It's just like, that's the truth. So there are, when I hear Black folks say, I don't want to work with this party because of that, I get that. But then I'm like, okay, can we, I think it's about um, so that we're not consorting with and raising up um, or platforming, if you will, um, more racism, more transphobia. I think ideally we come together on salute, on our shared humanity and solutions. I think coming together around oh we hate the same people is not real. It's not real belonging. Bernie Brown would tell us it's not real belonging. But if we can come together around solutions, right? If we can like say um, not oh the, the Democratic Party is I have because I have problems with the Democratic Party and like a lot of Republicans will too. But like that is not you know, what we have problems with, I don't think it's the way we come together, but like, how do we come together with solutions? And how do we come together in our shared humanity? I see you as a human being, and hopefully you see me as a human being. And ultimately, human beings want the same things. So let's come together around that shared humanity and around solutions. I think so much of part of, of, of what the media has done, and I blame the media, politicians as well, but politicians urged on by media, when I say media, I mean social media as well as like, you know, media, media, um, is we should hate these people. We should own this group of people. These people, you know, we need to be against this instead of what are we for? And um, I think when, again, when we can, you know, get offline, get off social media and interact with people as human beings then we can do that. I really believe we can do that. Um, And just, and there's like this whole like gender ideology thing, but it's just like, okay, I'm a person, I'm not an ideology. I'm not, and I—I I literally saw. I was on Twitter, <laughs> that 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 horrible place, um, just yesterday, RIP. and um, and someone tweeted, you know, w- with my name in it, like, you know, the whole trans thing wasn't a thing until Laverne Cox is on Orange Is the New Black, and then all these trans people like came around. So people were <laughs> like asserting that trans people didn't exist before. <laughs>
1: I mean it's insane. Congratulations on being a trailblazer as the first ever trans person. I had no idea. What an honor.
2: That's obviously incorrect. <laughs> and so I mean trans people there's people who know history, right? And there's an again, education. It's you know, a part of the, we really need better schools. Um but part of the reason that we don't have better schools is so we've been an educated electorate is an electorate, an electorate that can be controlled um more effectively. But trans people have existed since the beginning of time, obviously. Um My goodness. And so, so a lot of this is about education. A lot of it's about uh, misinformation, miseducation. And um, I think if any last, I mean, I've said this a zillion times, but I think everybody within the sound of my voice, if we can let go of narratives about groups of people and narratives about ideology and understand. And I think like, for me, I try to hold systems, and mindsets accountable, right? For me, I'm critical of ideologies and critical of institutions, but I love individuals. I mm. love human beings, even if they might not love me, even if they don't see my humanity. And that is, I think, the beautiful thing about um, the, the sort of, you know, Christian tradition, particularly epitomized in the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, that there's this radical love um, that we'll have, you know, I, you know, black folks, We know, when we were, you know, enslaved and, you know, second-class citizens through Jim Crow, the best of us didn't say, oh, we want to enslave white people. The best of us said, we want equality for everybody. Mm -hmm. We don't want to oppress you. We just want equality for everyone. And we want to, we want to love our enemies, um, even if they don't see our humanity. And I think that, um, that ethic I think is something that, when I think about what gets me through now and what, um, what I need, even with like 22 years of therapy and various processes and whatnot to uh, build resilience, that the spirituality of, that, um, of my ancestors who are Black and trans ancestors who are trans and people of color is that spirituality and that love and that connection to something that is bigger than me, I'm trying to allow an energy that is bigger than me to move through me in the world. That that is something that um, is so beautiful about being about being black. And I think what's so beautiful about you, I remember on on our on on my show, if we're being honest, you talked about living with multiple people, and that's part of your um, you know tradition that that there's communal living, and there's so many lessons that we can learn from, that's why diversity is so awesome. That's why like having different people that we can learn from is so awesome because there's so many things that, in ways that people live that can inform and enrich our lives
1: hundred percent i mean jesus christ i know that from uh learning more about and having more and more friends within the trans community specifically now like knowing more and more people in ballroom mm-hmm. the concept of the chosen family is something i talk about a lot where i'm like there are so many people who even if they aren't queer or if they aren't you know different from their family in a in a way that makes them technically marginalized there are so many people who grow up and whether it's due to an alcoholic parent or mental illness in the family or just like a difference in the way people choose to treat each other and hold each other's boundaries. A lot of people I know who aren't marginalized at all do not get on at all with their families. And it creates this feeling of such intense loneliness. And if we could learn something from the ballroom community in particular, but the trans community... Who were forced to have to learn how to do this because they were otherwise and ostracized. But they found family and called it family mm-hmm. in people that they had no shared DNA with. They had a shared experience with and a shared desire for love and for unconditional love, for support and for home. You know mm-hmm. so many people could fucking benefit from that, and the reason yeah. I have so many roommates uh at my age is because they are my fucking family. like I don't yeah. have a strong relationship with my own family, and I've got a zillion cousins i think but but these people got me and understood me and respected my boundaries in a way that i that i makes me feel so safe and so at home so it's just one example of ways in which we could all learn from the trans community look at what trans women have done for feminist ideology for breaking the gender barriers for 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 rejecting misogyny for rejecting patriarchy and like leading our way and and i'm not just talking about trans people learn a lot from immigrants and we learn a lot from all kinds of different people it would be so wonderful I hope you do get to go on Joe Rogan I hope you do become fucking president of the United fucking states honestly <laughs> not you not and your patriotic ass uh, uh, I wonder point, if yeah. and like, I can, <laughs> I can cut this out but like I wonder if it would be good for you and me to work with some I don't know Members of government or something, or maybe not the members of government considering what Mm. they're doing, but to work with some experts to create an actual finite statistical list of the biggest problems that impact the most people in America and create like a leaderboard of like top 10 issues or top 20 issues that are actually impacting each and every household the most we're going to find the cost of living prices up there. We're even going to find fucking gas prices, climate, all kinds that, of different that, things. That, the, um, Healthcare. That wages
2: haven't kept up over the 40 years with inflation, yeah, right? Exactly. So I guess, well, income inequality, I think is huge. There are, what I do believe um, for left-leaning people is that we, we don't have a federalist society, right? That like thinking about what, how in the early 1980s that um, Republicans and conservatives were like, we need, in the face of the Warren court and uh, and abortion um, becoming the law of the land, they're like, we need to capture the courts. And really the conservative majority that we have on the Supreme Court now is over 40 years in the making. It's the federalist society has been relentless about turning out conservative judges, um, having a litmus test for them and evolving to have this 6-3 majority on the the Supreme Court that has overturned Roe v. Wade. There is no such equivalent on the left around judges, around um, (laughs) justice for everybody. And so I think, yeah, there's just so much work that needs to be done. And that's not my sphere of, um, I'm not an organizer and I'm, I i don't think I am. And he, I'm not really, I'm an actor and I'm, you know, I, I, I talk and I tell stories, but I do think that there need to be better organizations on the left that are not corporate driven. Mm-hmm. And I think that, cause I think the, the heart of most of the issues in the United States are are, are a corporate capture of everything. And mm-hmm. and I say, we say this in in a context on your podcast, it's going to be on a corporate platform. And I work for many multinational corporations. And so it's that contradiction is what, you know, we sort of exist in. And I do believe every time I say something like that, I get like really nervous about like, sort of being shadow banned and being like, <laughs> you know calling out corporate corruption. I feel like it's like the thing that you really aren't. Allowed to do, but that corporate corruption is part of what is keeping us divided as well. And so um, I think that list needs to happen, but then we would need to get money out of politics so our politicians could actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. The reason why, and I think most people understand, most of our politicians understand what the issues are, is just that they are being bribed by corporations and in special interests to do their bidding and not the bidding of, of, of everyday people and working people. So the system. Um, the, the fact that we have legalized bribery in the United States is what keeps us from having a higher minimum wage. $15 is not even enough anymore. We should be at like at least $25 an hour, right? That the fact that we don't have that is because of corporate capture. The fact that like, even, I mean, what's deep is that as, merit, in the, as we record this, there is going to be a vote on marriage equality in this. We got like 12 Republican senators for marriage equality, but we don't have um, Roe v. Wade codified. We don't have a fifteen dollars minimum wage. We don't have a pro act. We don't have an equality act. So it's like, well, what's oh no, going on? absolutely. But I don't
1: mean I don't mean that this list is for the fucking government. I mm-hmm. mean, if I went on Joe Rogan, I'd want to bring a giant fuck off laminated chart <laughs> of like the things that are actually impacting each one, so we can look at how the media choose the media mm. or certain politicians choose to like. Drag like transports, which is fortieth on the fucking list, or a hundredth on the list of like Probably problems that be every day. Exactly, <laughs> like, uh, but but and like, go and make that the big issue. Yeah, and and they don't talk about like the problems within the uh, foster care system and how many kids are going to end up in that. We don't really know the numbers of abortions. Like I think it's somewhere between like seven hundred thousand and a million. Uh, It depends. Like it oscillates, you know. And I think it's going to change more and more due to the, um, well, partially down to the laws, but then partially due to how unaffordable it is to fucking live or raise children nowadays. Right. So that number keeps Mm -hmm. increasing. Hundreds of thousands of children now going to be forced into a system that is already fucking broken. We don't talk about this, but we. need hard facts we need two people who aren't screaming at each other who are not using and like a scarecrow straw man free zone where we can just look i think there's a specific journalist maybe katie hill i'm not sure who brings like just a fucking laminated fact sheet we need one of those for the issues that are actually impacting every single american so they can see that we are wasting time fighting over shit that we all need together number one i think might be healthcare. Number, Number one fucking one. Is one. Number we shouldn't be healthcare. talking about all this other shit before we talk about the environment and healthcare and mental health care. Like But come there's on. so
2: many interests. Um I mean, pharmaceutical industry, health, and, and insurance industry that don't want us talking about that, right? And then mm-hmm. like a lot of misinformation around what it would it mean to have, you know, a, a single payer healthcare plan in the United States, right? Like it's a lot of misinformation. So there needs to be an education. Op- program um attached to that speaking of which another thing i just need to say around um gender affirming care for trans youth it's really expensive it is really it's um it's prohibitive for many working class people to have access to insurance doesn't cover most gender affirming care for trans youth which is actually a violation of the affordable care act we'll see what the courts say about all that but it's really expensive. So it's like just the fact that puberty blockers are so expensive is prohibitive. Like it just re- reduces access for so many people. Um, Again, something people aren't talking about. And like the reality of that is just like, just it's... It makes
1: yeah. no sense and it's designed to make no sense. Yeah. Like that is the thing that yeah. is the most important is we can't just say, oh, it's just a bunch of hapless politicians being lobbied and forced by corporations. It's also... Uh, chaos this is organized chaos right we if we don't know where to look if everything's on fire we don't know where to even fucking start that is by design they know exactly where to start especially those with the with you know who are succeeding and taking the most human rights away like they know exactly what's going on that is a carefully designed like plotted 40 year as you said planned out attack
2: And, and when it, when abortion or marriage equality become the things that we focus on with the Supreme Court or affirmative action, we don't focus on the deregulation that the Supreme Court is really, that that is the real project of the Federalist Society. What do you mean? That every industry is deregulated. So there's, um, oh, I forget the specific, I'm not a lawyer. There's a specific, um, idea around, um, we're deferring to, um, the experts on various issues like climate change, for example, right? So the Supreme Court, if you, there's many cases that have been before the Supreme Court that deal with regulating the environment, that deal with regulating the pharmaceutical industry, regulating various industries, and the Supreme Court always sides with corporations and deregulation. Those things don't make the news. The, that's the real project of the Federalist Society, according to many experts on the left, that we should be paying more attention to, the deregulation that is happening across industries, right? Corporations basically want, and regulations are just laws, they want fewer laws so they can do more um, that might destroy the environment, that might make drugs less safe, but to get things out to the market so they can make more money, because the fiduciary responsibility of corporations is to increase profits for their shareholders. That is the law. So that law should be changed. And that, these are things, I think we have to have a, a bigger critical lens around what's really happening. Um, and most of that is about corporate, corporate corruption, corporate capture of every aspect of our society. 100%. And then in in the face of that I've done many corporate you know speaking engagements when they would invite me to talk about diversity and inclusion and I I always try to take those opportunities to like you know invite employees of corporations I think the employees of Disney um are a really great model that they were like wait a minute these this don't say gay bill thing in Florida this is a problem and we don't want our corporation to support politicians who would pass these kinds of laws So then employees at corporations, at these uh, really powerful corporations can, you know, with varying degrees of success speak up. Sometimes they have more of a voice than, than other corporations, but like, how do we, if we understand that corporations are ruling everything, how do we then begin to hold corporations Mm -hmm. accountable, um, for who, particularly the politicians they support and the politicians they're giving money to. Opensecrets.org, you can see what politicians are getting money from whom, and that'll explain mostly how they're voting.
1: (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Fucking hell. This was not the chat I thought we were going to have. Girl, I'm sorry. I just... No, don't, don't be sorry at all. Stuff. I feel like I my skin the has been cleared. Lot. No, I love it. I feel like my skin is cleared. I feel like my hair has grown thicker yeah. in the last hour. My, like, I, thank you so much. I feel but like this I just had like a me, shot it, of
2: coffee is, up my ass. Like, this is just, I, lo- I love you. But part of our mental health though, I think for me, part of my mental health is like understanding the way that the system works and having... An understanding of that, a critical relationship to that, and then what is my fifty percent in it? What can I control? This is like crucial to me, and like that, that I'm not that the mental health conversation is not just about mental health. I, for me, it's about acknowledging that I've internalized racism, I've internalized white supremacy and transphobia and classism and all sorts of things that that are systemic. That understanding that, and then understanding that I can resist that. That um, I can I'm the master of my f- faith the captain of my soul that I am in control of my perception and my behavior so those are the things I can control so having like both those things play in my life is really important it 's part of my mental health journey not being in denial about what is going on in the world but having a perspective around it mm-hmm. that um, will hope will make me not feel hopeless. And helpless, um, a perspective around it that even as rights are being taken away, having a historical perspective that like, oh, my ancestors were enslaved. My ancestors were, you know, they had to drink out of, um, black only water fountains and they found a way to love each other and to build these, this culture and traditions that got them through. And so like that is, that is part of mental health for me is um, having a, a an astute understanding of what's happening politically, so that I, and historically in relationship to politics, so that I don't descend into hopelessness because it's 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 scary right now. If you if you yeah. don't have that perspective and have some a, a connection to something bigger than you, it's very easy to um, become nihilistic and 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 hopeless in the face of all of this.
1: You see the light, and Laverne, you are the light. Honestly, like, I really don't mean that lightly. I just, I haven't personally heard you talk like this very often. And I, uh, I totally understand why. And I think you've spoken beautifully about the importance of also sometimes being allowed to switch off and step back and enjoy Mm -hmm. some of the more frivolous and human things.
2: And it's contextual as well. I've learned that every context isn't appropriate or in every person isn't the right person to have this conversation with. So, and it just, I don't know. I just... Oh. I I just don't want to be screaming into, you know, into a void, you know, the same thing over and over again because it's I I just I was just exhausted. I mean, I'm in 2020, I was like, oh my god, I'm tired. In 2020, I'm exhausted. And I just I needed to pull back, you know, mm-hmm. I um I needed to pull back from activism because it was it was it was killing my spirit. It was mm-hmm. really um is killing my spirit, and so I have. But it doesn't mean that I'm, I don't know what's going on. It doesn't yeah, mean that I and don't also have a critical awareness.
1: Yes. Yeah information and being able to pass that information on to others is also one of the most vital parts of activism most bigotry comes from a place of fear it comes from a lack of knowledge the best way to combat that fear is with knowledge is with explanation is with showing people what it is that they're actually afraid of so that they can you know it's like a kind of aversion therapy almost putting them in front of immigrants putting them in front of trans people putting them in front of gay people putting them in front of you know people who would like to have an abortion for their own kind of uh Um, sanity and safety we just need to stop letting the fucking media and social media divide us and i so appreciate what a progressive you are i so 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 appreciate what a progressive you are it is not popular still to be a progressive no it isn't because we consider it some sort of a disloyalty i so love you for not considering it disloyalty it is the in my opinion ultimate loyalty to see hope, to see the light, to follow that light and try to spread it on as many people who are different from you yeah. as possible.
2: And, and really like in, 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 what are we, what are we doing for the least of these? Like as much privilege as both you and I enjoy, there are people who are struggling and there mm-hmm. are policies and things in place that are not doing anything for them and structures that are in place that are not doing anything for them. And so it's like we have to at least be able to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, part of um, there's there's, there's um, a, a YouTuber and a and a, and a and a political commentator who I disagree on with most things. I'll I'll I'll, I'll name him the Funky Academic. I disagree with him on so many things, um, but I love that he says, and I'll cite cite him. He says that the job of a politician, and perhaps even the job of some activists, is either to change policy or to define the fight. If we are unable to, and this is I think this is just brilliant. If we're unable to change policy because of a filibuster or because of, you know, some sort of obstruction or corporate capture or whatever, we need to be able to define what the fight is. Mm-hmm. We you know, and, and 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 when I say fight, I think the fight against structures, the fight against corporate capture, the fight against ourselves, um, and sometimes that fight is to is to stop fighting each other and to love each other and understand that there's a bi- there are bigger systems in place. So I think being able to speak the truth is um Bell Hooks talks about this, Cornell West talks about this, that we have to have the courage to tell the truth. And it is scary. It is sc- really, really scary to tell the truth. Um, because um, particularly when it's the truth, the truth about corporate capture and money being the root of all of this, it is a very scary thing because, you know. There's lots of things in place that, you know, don't want folks to think about that or focus on that. That's why we have all the things. Distraction. Used, all the distractions, all the look mm-hmm. over there. Is to quote Jada Essence Hall from RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I and just so, got a drag race reference in.
1: <laughs> I am... I am so grateful for all your references. I am grateful for your journey. I'm grateful for how you share your journey. I'm grateful for how uplifting you are in spite of a lot of the things that you have seen. I'm grateful for how you acknowledge the beauty in your life and the beautiful people around you throughout even the hardest times. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a really fabulous perspective and one that I was so desperate to get onto this podcast because it's what we need right now. We need hope. We need determination. We need organization. We need knowledge. And... And we need tolerance and we need the tolerance towards others that we expect for ourselves. We mustn't turn into them. We mustn't let the hate eat our hearts as well. Um, Before you go, can I just ask you, what do you
2: weigh? Yeah, I weigh,
1: I weigh my
2: capacity for passion and love. Through every stage and phase of my life, through every hardship, I weigh that I understand that it's all about love, that it is all about when I haven't been able to love myself, that it is the love of art, um, the love of acting, the passion for that, that, is, that has gone me through the love of music, the love of Leon Tune Price singing a pianist sumo high C that is like that is love and that is beauty, that has that it, that gotten me through, and that is all about love. And when I can allow, um, get out of my own way and allow that love to permeate every aspect of my life, that it's all going to be okay.
1: I love that. I love you. Come back anytime. Uh, I support you always, mate.
2: Likewise. Thank you. I love this. Oh, girl, I didn't know we were going to be going here. Same. Um,
1: <laughs> I loved it. I love you. Me you're too. fantastic. I love you too,
2: Jamila. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for your movement and your voice and, and your talent. You're such a wonderful actress, too. I, lo- I know that you do all these other things, but you're just with such a wonderful talent Um
1: Likewise, as an actor. Mate. I'm grateful that we're we're here at the same time. I'm grateful that we met. And thank you for having me on your show, if we're yes. being honest. Like, I love that show. I want everyone to go and watch it. I want everyone to see and listen to everything that you're doing. So if you're not already thank following you. Laverne, what the fuck are you really doing with your life? Change it now. <laughs> Bye, love. Bye, darling. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode i weigh with jamila jamil is produced and researched by myself jamila jamil erin finnegan and kimmy gregory it is edited by andrew carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend james blake if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to the show it's a great way to show your support love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh being a former anorexic, I weigh having bitten bulimia, anorexia, obesity, yes, I've done it all, I weigh my kindness, I weigh being a loyal friend, I weigh my cartoon drawings, I weigh being a marathon finisher. I weigh being an animal lover. I weigh being a world
0: traveler. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...